Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back to another Tactical Tuesday, practical insights and guidance along your clean energy journey. Whether you're developing a career or a company, we're here to accompany you and help you build more skills and dig deeper in the areas where you need it most. We're bringing experts from the front lines to help train everybody else. If you would like to be on the show and you're on the front lines, please do hit me up, Nico, at mysuncast.com or let my team know at mysuncast.com. You can just click on several areas there to inquire and request that uh, we hear your story. But their story today is one worth telling. This conversation is all about the power of partnerships. How do we overcome barriers to developing and deploying technology and all of the massive solar farms that we need to to develop and deploy? Well, frankly, today's guests have an outsized experience in doing just that. The executives from EDPR North America, Next Tracker, Beta Engineering, and Torxil have collectively deployed gigawatts of solar projects. They represent the entire supply chain delivery on utility scale solar projects at scale. And we talk about the power of bringing the supply chain back to America, how it's improving development and the very communities where these solar projects are being installed and making their own local impact. We believe, as I hope that you do, these solar projects are in fact bringing back a sense of pride to American communities that have relied for so long on fossil fuel production and manufacturing. Our team of experts get into the progress that we've seen on the regulatory front, helping these projects get completed, the importance of community buy-in, how we're bringing those jobs back to America and integrating into these local communities where projects are being installed, contributes so much to that buy-in that we definitely need. We talk about how to integrate all the teams involved in building a project at this great of a scale. If you've wondered what are the hallmarks of good project management, delivering on time and under budget, and to the desires of all the stakeholders, today's conversation is definitely for you. This is one of our live conversations from our podcast stage at RE Plus called Power Up Live. I hope that you enjoy it. And I'm so grateful that you have given us the one thing you won't get back, which is your time. promise we're going to take good care of it. If you'd like more of these kinds of conversations in your inbox, please subscribe by going to mysuncast.com. And that's also where you can access the more than 640 now episodes in our back catalog of conversations just like this with solar warriors on the front lines of the clean energy transition. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, solar warrior, with another tactical, practical episode here on Suncast. The process of development, especially at the utility scale, is a very complex puzzle to put together. And it requires, as one would suspect, partnerships from supply through development all the way to completion and operation 
of these projects. Up on the stage with me are folks from the entire supply chain, as it were, delivering on utility-scale projects at scale. And today we're going to talk about how to overcome the barriers that are common to projects that get stuck in various stages of the development cycle. I'm joined by Rob Anders, Associate Director of Development at EDPR North America, Eric Villeman, Director of Agile Internal for Beta Engineering, Jaime Fernandez, Senior Steel Sourcing Manager for Next Tracker, and Chris Haltom, VP of Sales and Marketing at Torxil. Thank you. So guys, I have a, a handful of questions here, but the through line is, what does it take to make sure that in a world where we've got, uh, as, as Andy Redinger says at KeyBank, gasoline on the bonfire of utility scale, there's been so much pent up demand. You've got on every level, manufacturers like Next Tracker bringing uh, manufacturing to the, on the local level, yet you've got supply constraints and regulatory constraints that keep projects from uh, from getting to the finish line or, or getting to the starting line in some cases. I'd love to start, Rob, at the development level because ultimately it comes down to how projects are developed. That's the core that kicks off the project development process. And uh, at ADP, you all have worked extensively across the United States on ensuring that there is regulatory framework to get projects, to get them built. Could you talk a bit about a bit of an update on the regulatory, uh, the like, regulatory front for project developers, what's the progress that we've seen over the last year? And, and how does that contribute to the overarching theme of how projects get completed? Well, thanks, Nico. Appreciate uh, the intro and appreciate the opportunity to be, to be here, certainly with uh, our team of teams here. Yeah. Um, just again, by way of introduction, I'm the Associate Director of Development for EDP Renewables. Uh, I oversee our uh, 3.5 gigawatts of projects under development uh, east of the Mississippi River, primarily in the southeast. Mm. And so to your question about the regulatory environment, I think I'd like to begin at the very beginning and, and really the um, what's at the core of what we do as a developer and what the industry does across across the country, which is we begin projects with relationships with landowners yeah. and with communities and that's that's step one. That is step one at every for everyone in the in the business. Uh, and so, when you think about EDP renewables, our entire enterprise rests on paperwork that reflects relationships that we have with individual, real people in real places. That's something that's not lost on our team on on uh, the development side, and certainly the rest of the company. So, with that in mind, uh, you know, as we're looking at the landscape across across you know my region in the southeast and and the country more broadly uh there really is a lot of volatility in terms of the regulatory environment and that's yeah. su super important we're very sensitive to that some states have implemented laws that uh provide a uh kind of a backstop uh Illinois is a good example where they've done a lot of the uh, sort of the foundational regulatory framing for the counties, other states like Ohio, for example, have done sort of the inverse and have ceded much more regulatory authority to the counties. And so, all of the all of the variability between those two kind of paradigms is all across where we're trying to trying to begin new projects. So, to your point, and again back to the theme of what we're talking about here, every project begins with a relationship, yeah. begins with a handshake and looking in the eye and sitting across a farm table. Uh, you know, wherever the project area is, 
Uh, and that landowner is a member of a community, and yeah. and the uh, regulatory framework um, sort of stems from that. I think just to sum it up, the progress we've seen on the regulatory side really stems from so so many uh, people across the country have now had some kind of interaction or interface with renewable energy, whether they've driven past a solar project or a wind farm, or they know someone who is a material uh, uh, participant in a project, there's so so much more exposure at the individual level, at the town, village, council, or county level, where more information is pouring into the regulatory frameworks. And so there's a ton of activity, and that's positive in its own right, because people are working on it and thinking about it and shaping it accordingly. So we're sensitive to that as the company looks externally to the landscape where the best opportunities are for new development. I will just say, as we're talking about supply chain mm -hmm. and uh, the intersection of supply chain and us bringing to bear these projects to get steel in the ground, where we can mini minimize and mitigate uh, the impacts to the, the regulatory framework, which really is designed to protect the interests of the local communities. Yeah. That all comes from engineering and design yeah. uh, on our part. And that's why uh, it's a great conversation to, to, or a great way to start this conversation here. One of the things that is a, a common theme in the conversations that we are having for project development and what we're seeing as obstacles in deployment across the country is this concept of community buy-in. Um, you know, I feel like Next Tracker, as an example, has done a great job of seeding confidence in strategic locations across the United States, not just in the development community, but in the local community that will provide jobs to help build the technology. Could you all talk about, maybe we'll go with you first, Jaime, how you think about the importance of community buy-in as a component to the supply chain for, for actually getting these projects to completion? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nick. And I, I think the, the very key word over here is, is community. That's, yeah. what we are, well, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're yeah. trying to build this community, but we're trying to educate everybody on renewables. Uh, the best way to educate is bringing back the jobs, creating this circular economy where suddenly you're creating, mm. you know, jobs for raw material, you're creating jobs for manufacturers, you're creating jobs for EPCs, and then you're creating jobs for the developers. And at the end of the day, eh, that's what Next Tracker is really trying to do. Yeah, just creating good jobs. I think that's that's the best way to to educate the community. Yeah, you guys as well are uh, bringing to be you're bringing to bear local uh, local aspects to community development. How how do you and Torxil uh, think about? I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about the just the nature of integrating into the local community as these projects uh, get deployed. Yeah, I know. If, you know, every project we we start on, you know, that's one of our first things we want to look at is, you mm. know, how can we get both, you know, con content for our project and how can we impact mm -hmm. the local community? You know, yeah. cause there's always great partners there that, you know, know everybody and can really help you through and along that journey. And I know we've taken, taken part in a few events with EDP this year, you know, bringing out the whole community and just educating everybody on the project overall, how it's going to be built what the long-term effects are and just, you know, showing everybody. So this is ahead of building the project. Right. How far ahead of a project are you bringing, 
you're you're resourcing staff to go out and engage and get into the community and and start seeding this goodwill. So I, I know for us, we usually follow the you know the older developers lead and okay. you know really like to work with them. But you know at a minimum, you know three four months before we mobilize, you know get out there and see wow. you know, who are our local partners going to be there. Yeah, that seems like a great best practice. So for us, yeah, for EDP Renewables, we're an owner operator. Yeah, and so. Again, going back to that initial conversation with landowners, yep. uh, we we approach that conversation with the very long term in mind. So we we are talking about a very long proposition here yeah. of a project on their on their property for you know thirty five fifty five years. We have the mindset that a member of our company, all the way at the end of the life of the project, is going to be interfacing with this landowner's yeah. you know grand grandchild or whomever it is yeah um, because they have the long term in mind the council the town council the 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 county council has that long term vision in mind just the same so to your question about when do you engage early and often yeah. and we just had a uh, one of these kickoff meetings uh, for our uh, for one of our projects in Mississippi very well attended all the stakeholders uh landowners uh village town council members uh, attended um, a lot of folks looking for tangible right. uh, opportunities to, to contribute to the project. So typically that is as we're getting closer to construction, where now we've, we've got um, actual uh, mobilization either underway or poised, poised to, uh, to deploy. Yeah. And uh, so that's very exciting. And it's, it's really great to see uh, our, Again, our internal teams yeah. and our uh, contractors and the people who are going to be out there interfacing with local communities all together and uh, demonstrating that team of teams and the power of partnerships. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100 kW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation. It truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself. See how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. You know, I can speak for what I see in the marketplace, at least with EDPR and with Next Tracker, who are all, are very publicly 
ex, ex, uh, expounding on the virtues of community engagement. Um, but I, I welcome all of you to speak on how the this team of teams works, because what I hear as a common uh, a common resound here is the internal team of the project developer and the engineer and the suppliers is what is there's it's a requirement. It's not a nice to have. It's an it's a need to have. Can you talk about the the process of both integrating those teams and in, integrating or incorporating advancements in technology? Because that's something else that you all are uh, particularly prolific at. How do we formulate these teams in a way that's cohesive? And then we'll get into supply constraints in a moment. <laughs> well, I'll just, uh, I guess, amplify the intersection of the the sort of the uh, the policy dimension, the regulatory environment, yeah. and uh, some of the technologies here. First and foremost is, you know, we're looking at, increasingly, we're looking at uh, development areas that are increasingly complicated yeah. with constraints. Topography is a big uh, issue in right. more and more places where we've got willing landowners, we've got uh, uh, available capacity on the transmission system, and um, but the terrain is can be problematic. And so when you go into those conversations, again, those initial conversations, and we're talking about, well, can we put can we put a project on undulating terrain without impacting that? That's that's huge because yeah. if we if we are proposing to really come in there and change the landscape in a dramatic way, that amplifies the risk to the regulatory sort of approach that the local community is facing. So, Next Tracker is a great 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 example here of technological solutions, new advancements in technology that yeah. can mitigate that long term our. Uh, from a development standpoint, can mitigate our impact on the land, our ability to restore the 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 land to its to agricultural use or the way it was before at the end of the life of the project. All of that is is win 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 all the way around. So yeah. over to, over to you. No, I actually, for... I I wanted to go maybe a, a different way and maybe step take a step back and mostly you're, you're talking about the input uh, the importance on on relationships, right? And for everybody needs to be in the same page in order to reach that project for completion. And I just wanted to take a step back and really understand the importance of data, right? Because all the data cascades down, right? If you don't got the data from your supplier, you cannot provide accurate data to the EPC and you cannot provide accurate data to um, to the developer, right? So I think within NextTracker, we, we challenge ourselves, uh, our processes internally. Uh, we are humble enough and now we are putting together uh, better processes to provide accurate data across the whole organization. I think everybody is working for the same goal. At the end of the day, we're trying to provide renewable energy uh, for the whole communities, right? And, and yeah, that, that's essentially it. Uh, just focusing on data internally for us has been really key for our success. Well, and I think this is a really good point uh, because we're really up here for separate entities, right? Uh, four separate businesses. We all have four separate bosses and we <laughs> different balance sheets and everything that we have to report to. And, and for us at Torxil and Torxil, just for everyone, we do a helical pile foundation, which is a steel foundation system that's quicker and cleaner that helps uh, everybody through the community. Um, but when, what we are trying to do is please every person that's down this chain mm -hmm. on, the, on the desk here. And it's open communication and building that trust with your customer through 
either our internal engineering team or our operations teams or our manufacturing teams. So uh, just over communication, build the trust. And that's something that we strive to do to make you guys as happy as possible. Well, one of the, one of the things that erodes trust in all projects is uh, time, uh, timelines and delivery delays. Um, I'd love to hear how, as a team, you all have approached uh, improving accuracy through data, through relationships, team of teams to address the current supply chain challenges. What are the, what are the hallmarks of good project management, good team, uh, team dynamic with regards to delivering on time, setting expectations, et cetera? Can we talk a bit about the nature? I mean, I think that really is at the heart of delivering on uh, the, the owner operator's desires at the end of the day for the project. You've, you've gone and gotten and won the landowner's uh, trust You've won the local community's trust, and now we've got to put orders in, and we got to put steel in the ground. Can you walk me through that. Yeah, I would say, especially for us in the being in the high voltage industry, it it's really unprecedented times right now, with just the lead times and availability of equipment. And it, it's you know when we go through these projects, it's all about mitigating risk as soon as you can do so all the way through, because you know you never know what's going to happen. You never know what the delays are going to be to the project. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that, that we're doing is partnering with our, our sister company, Distran to, you know, both modularize and marshal all of our materials to our facility in Louisiana. And so, you know, if, if something happens and the site's not available, once it is, we're, we're ready to go. You know, you aren't there <clears throat> waiting on everything to show up and just that, that certainty that you can provide to the, the rest of the team is just so valuable. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just wanted to, to, to say something that I don't know if, if any, everybody was aware, but in Next Tracker, we took this approach about two years ago, a little bit over two years of bringing the manufacturing back here to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's been for, for a couple of reasons. And before it was essentially to, to build orders, you know, with shorter lead time, trying to get that project um, orders as soon as possible to the manufacturers, to the developers. Now, that was two years back. Yes, some regulations have changed, but our approach has really been trying to bring things back uh-huh. to the community where they're going to be built for shorter lead time. And again, I'm just emphasizing in the community aspect, right? We need to educate people on renewables and how great they are and how great they will be in the future. Are there examples that you guys can give of that risk mitigation? Like you guys uh, are fast-tracking production in specific ways. Can we talk a bit about that as well? I, I, I agree with, uh, w- with what you're saying, Jaime, that um, bringing nearshoring and bringing that manufacturing back to the United States is a part of risk mitigation. It's a massive uh, advantage for developers to know that they have the supply here domestically, right? Yeah, no. And I mean, if, if I look, you know, two years back where, you know, COVID was essentially abrupt and suddenly the whole supply chain really got affected, <laughs> right. you, you really had no control over all the shipments that were coming in the States, right? So yeah. suddenly building here was a no-brainer solution. And that was really the approach that we took. Yeah. Um, that's a, a very for, like, punctual, um, you know, project that we did essentially was, you know, either building it closer to, to the border, close yeah. to Mexico, which now we moved that facility here to the States. Are really trying to build facilities in in the Midwest right now. Yeah, I'd also 
Excuse me, would like to add a, a little bit about fast tracking things. And so at Torsal, we work in a lot of different sectors, right? So it's not just high voltage. We work in oil and gas and industrial. And what's amazing is after COVID, we see so many supply chain issues that are really impacting that timeline of projects getting completed. And so for us to work, you know, partner with you guys at Beta to say, hey, let's do a steel foundation where we screw these into the ground. It, there's no time for uh, people to wait around for concrete to cure. And then you're ready to set your, uh, you know, f- f- uh, equipment that is skid based on top of these uh, helical piles. So again, even though they're waiting for equipment and everything, yeah. it, it, that is one thing to help slide that timeline to the left a little bit. And we, but we see it across every sector that's out there. Rob, I'm curious, and I've, I welcome all of you to opine on it, but as a developer, when you're thinking about the value to the community, the messaging that you're going to portray, you're going to purvey and portray into the, the meetings, et cetera, how do conversations around sustainability factor in? Because there are a number of different ways, we'll say, to approach putting a solar farm out in the middle of a community. And, and equipment selection specifically is one of those. So are there ways that you all, and you guys may have to jump in with specific data, but that you all are imb- embedding sustainability and lower carbon footprint into the product choices? My initial reaction is, is to expand the scope of what you mean by sustainability. Sure. And really in, in so many of the places where we are building projects, the notion of sustainability is much more about the sustainability of the communities and the jobs and the jobs we talked about that and and the long again the long term health and welfare of the of the town and the and the county and so that is of utmost importance really across the board that is that is really what is driving the conversations I think more internally uh, when we're looking at procurement and our team of teams um, that's of of uh, much more sort of value and certainly part of the decision-making process for our own company's sustainability goals, also our overall messaging. But uh, yeah, that notion of sustainability really has a bigger aperture than... than. Um, I, lo- I love the fact that as we move into the heartland, um, you know, Next Tracker's American-made steel, Torque Sills, American-made steel. Does that factor into how you guys think about the, the neighborhood and the community messaging? Yeah, no, and I, I just wanted to jump in also on the sustainability aspect. It's definitely important for Next Tracker. We just got uh, our ESG certification from Ecovadis, uh, Silva uh, Star. So uh, it's definitely important. And what we try to do as well is look at our manufacturers, see the safety as- aspects of the manufacturers, and really guarantee that the jobs are a good that you're bringing into community because at the end of the day if you're creating bad jobs that's that's not going to be a solution you want to create good jobs for the families and mm-hmm. you know making sure everybody gets safe uh, to their to their house at the end of the day right yeah. i think that's that's the most important and uh, just jumping into the the sustainability aspect coming here into the states just changed the whole equation for us because historically if you look at different regions the steel comes from a blast furnace. So it's a different technology. Whilst here in the US, you have electric car furnaces, which are much cleaner. They essentially just use electricity in order to melt that steel. So suddenly you're using 80% of scrap, right? So it's, it's very sustainable. And now you're using just pure electricity to melt that scrap. 
Uh, you have uh, different companies that are looking or evaluating to, you know, powering their plants with solar, with, uh, with wind farms, and suddenly you're creating a much sustainable product. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I, uh, throw into this thing about uh, our torque sales or helical piles, uh, just from a sustainability standpoint, we, you know, besides water, the most used, I, I believe the most used material is concrete. Yeah. Um, and that provides a mess for the landowner 30 to 50 years later when right. maybe they don't want that project there anymore. And so with helical piles, we we did compare a concrete project to helical piles. And the, the biggest takeaway from that is that uh, there, there's a 50% less carbon footprint of using helical piles versus concrete. The other thing I'd say is for that landowner, when we do use helical piles um, and they don't want the project there anymore after 30, 50 years, we can just go out and unscrew them and use them for something else. So there is that sustainability aspect and it just creates that chain all the way down from you guys in the cleaner burning uh, steel manufacturing to the foundations alone. Right. I think it's, you know, finding partners that approach sustainability from, you know, right in legitimate ways. Like for us as a, a contractor, our company has, you know, a, a large amount of sustainably managed timberland. And so by doing that, we're actually scope one and two negative for our carbon emissions. And so, you know, as a, a contractor, that's a pretty unique thing we're able to say. And it, it's, you know, and we've been doing that for years before we even thought how that would impact our, our carbon emissions. I have yeah, to say in amazing. 630 episodes of Suncast, I've never had an engineering firm talk scope one and two emissions. That says a lot about the procurement processes of, uh, of EDPR, if nothing else, finding companies like Beta and Torxil and Next Tracker, who actually really are thinking beyond just the core product, the steel that's going into the ground, but the messaging and the product that's going into the community. It's providing something for these communities that is going to be there for 25 if, and it should be 50 years, right? It's replacing an otherwise uh, fossil fuel plant that's going to be there for 50 years. It all comes back down to the foundation that we started with, and that's starting at the land. It's a relationship at a local level, building these communities. And what I'm encouraged by in looking at the way that EDPR and Beta and Next Tracker and Torxil are working together is as an industry, we recognize there are supply constraints. We recognize that there are messaging problems in the field about whether or not our technology ought to be allowed in these communities. The nimbyism is real. And not only that, but the messaging from the other side uh, that's not getting an insignificant amount of funding is real. That would suggest to these communities that solar is, uh, is a sham and we don't need it to be there. Uh, so I, for one, as someone who, as an outside observer, is seeing these relationships form, I'm grateful to see the development process a little more from the inside. And I'm sure that our audience is as well. I wish we had time for questions because these guys, I'm sure, could provide deep answers. I wanted to just thank you guys once again. And I'll have to, I'm going to have to have each one of you back on the show individually. I feel like I could dig deeper with each one of you. I'm learning about Torxil's uh, helical piles here uh, in the middle of the show. What did you think of that one? I, for one, really enjoyed a conversation with practitioners, folks who are both in the field developing as well as on the front lines, building out the sourcing mechanisms for gigawatts of deployment of solar over the coming five years. What were your takeaways? Were there things that I could have or should have dug into a little deeper? 
please leave me your feedback. Unvarnished, I promise. I want it. You could do so by emailing me, Nico at mysuncast.com. You could do so by filling out our listener survey at mysuncast.com. Or you could just go to LinkedIn and leave us a note or share this episode with someone that you think would benefit from hearing it. All of our social accounts are linked in the show notes, both at mysuncast.com, but also in the description of the podcast player you are listening to. And of course, every week you get a chance to listen to this show for free, exchanging the only thing that you won't get back, which is your time. And the people that help make that possible, our sponsors, would love it if you'd show them some love. You can find out more about them and the products they sell, the offers they've given at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Of course, that's also how you could find ways to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. I hope we'll see you back here on Thursday for another in long form executive profile, clean energy champion on the front lines of the revolution. For now, remember you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle.